Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, praise God. You ready? All right. Um, I just want to share with you. You ever have? I love my grandkids. I love having our kids here. My grandkids are a little under the weather this uh, this morning, so raising up. But um, kids say the the funniest things, don't they? So there was this Sunday school teacher asked them to, if you could uh, give God advice or ask him a question, write it down. So they did his, his so they went ahead and said, um, one of them, this was from Norma, dear God, did you really mean to make the giraffe look like that or was that an accident? <laughs> this one's from Neil. Neil, um, dear God, I went to a wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Is that, a, is that really okay? This is from Joyce. Here you go, Joyce. This is from Joyce. says, Lord, thank you, God, for my baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy. <laughs> Sam writes, he goes, dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with all that hair all over him. <laughs> I've heard that one before. Um, Dear God, this one's from Marsha. Dear God, my brothers told me about being born, but that doesn't sound right. They're kidding, right? (laughs) Dear God, this is from Mickey. If you watch for me on church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. (laughs) That's good. And this one's from Larry. He goes, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. It works for my brother and I. (laughs) That's good. Out of the mouth of babes. I remember I was traveling. I was taking my grandson Isaiah. I think it was back from a, a Cub Scout meeting. And he was kind of, we were talking about creation, and we had studied some things there in Cub Scouts and, and uh, at St. Mark's. And, and uh, he was looking at me, and then he'd look in the, you know, he's sitting in the passenger side looking in the mirror. He'd look over at me, and he'd look at himself in the mirror. He says, Papa, let me ask you a question. Did, did, did God make me? I said, yeah, he did. He formed you. He goes, looked at Papa, did he make you? And I could tell he's looking at my wrinkles, right? He goes, Papa, I think God's doing a better job now. (laughs) I said, I don't know how to answer. You're probably right, Isaiah. You're probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, Of course, you know, humbled and out of the mouth of babes. We're supposed to become like them, right? Childlike. So I like when Karina said, all you who are 12 and, and up, stand up. So, hey, we all stood up, right? All right. Praise God, I ask you to give us the heart of a child, Lord. We thank you. Childlikeness, he honors that. And Well, interesting. Pull out your handout. Um, interesting title. The, I was wrestling with this one, and I gave a, a, a whole list of potentials, and Pat liked this one. So here it is. I've titled the message, The The Runaways Now Reveal the Highway. Have you ever run from God? Throughout the reality is we all have, right? Well, let me me ask you a question, kind of get us uh, anchored down here for a moment. Here's a statement. Circumstances and circumstantial fear uncovers a core belief that will motivate your response. 
circumstances of fear will uncover what you really believe and you'll have a response in order with that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let me give you, they're both uh, actuals. One was in our, our family and the other was in Korea. Let me use the one in our family. When my, uh, I met my wife when she was 16. She was a little cheerleader and I said, man, that's a cute thing. And, and so she's still very cute. Amen. But I remember she told me, she goes, she was afraid of dogs and she showed me a scar. I can't remember which leg it is. I don't think you have the scar anymore, is it? But she had gotten bit by a dog when she was younger and uh, so she had a healthy respect, actually a fear of dogs. Remember, she said, if we ride her bike, she's afraid the dog would come after you. You know how they chase bikes and car and wheels and all that craziness, right? So she had a, uh, a real, honest, circumstantial fear that had generated from dogs being bit. Well, when we had moved uh, in New York out of the woods and we went to a place called Whipple Tree Road, and um, while we were there, she was eight months pregnant with Katie, and Sarah was the, our little worshiper up here this morning. She was three years old, and um, Sarah wandered and climbed over the fence of the neighbor's yard, and there was this huge Alaskan Malmute that was in the yard that went after Sarah. She was going to play on the swings, right? And you know what happens. You hear the stories of kids getting wandered into yards and what happens, right? Well, I didn't know it, but all, I, all of a sudden I hear... Jenny's climbed over. She's scaled the fence at eight months pregnant, and she's after the dog to get to rescue Sarah. Same time, the neighbor's coming out trying to get the dog out. And of course, Sarah's like kind of oblivious, like, oh my gosh. What happened? Yeah, that night, she told me, she said she, she was having false labor. I said, oh, great, you know. So can you imagine scaling the fence? This is a large fence at eight. How high was it? Four feet, okay. Um, My daughter was in there. Yeah, and Sarah got over it. She was always into stuff and on top of her. So what happened? The love of the child was greater than the fear of the dog, right? And so there, there's this place where the love of God or the love of, certain, the, the love of this situation, the family member, you know, I saw a video one time of a mother cat taking on a pack of dogs to protect her kittens. Normally... Cats are out of there, right? Not in this case. And so when we may say that we believe in something, you'll find out and you'll be tested. Here's an example. I remember this one. This one moved me a few years ago. I read it. Um, during the Korean conflict in the 50s, my dad fought in Korea. He was activated in the reserves. I've told you my story before. I'm named after Lieutenant Tom McVeigh. He was killed. He was my father's best friend just before I was born uh, Tom McVeigh had been wounded twice, third time put back in the Marines. They sent him back to the front line and he was killed. That word came back and my dad and mom decided that they would name me after this warrior. And I've got all the articles of him. You know, he was a quarterback. He was an All-American. He was, he was one of those young men that was just serving his country. And so in that Korean conflict, when the North Koreans came across, supported by the uh, Chinese, they came across the, the 39th parallel and... Uh, at that moment, there was a church service going on. Here's the recount of a person who was there. There was a church, Christian church service going on when the Korean communists came into the church. Can you imagine the minute AK-47 guys lining this side of these walls right now, right? And 
they, there was a picture of Christ on the wall, and the leader of the communist group pulled the picture off the wall, put the picture right here, and he said, now, there is no God. Communism believes in none of that stuff. You're going to renounce this God, or you're going to be shot. And we're going to start with you, pastor, and then we're going to start with your elders. And you're going to come by, and you're going to spit on this picture, and then you're going to come over here, and if not, you're dead. Pastor came up, spit on the picture. Elder next, spit on the picture. There was a 12-year-old little girl in the line. When she came to the picture, she knelt down with her dress, and she washed the spit off the paper off of Jesus' face. And then she knelt down with the leader with the AK-47, said, I'll never do that. Now, faced with the dilemma of what to do about this, the recount goes, it says, this is really the only communist worthy because what she says, she believes. You, out, they executed the pastor and the elders. Circumstantial fear, you know, we may say we believe, but faced with that kind of circumstance, it will determine what you say you really believe. Amen? And so when we look about all the times in our lives where we've turned away, you know, those are the immediate life and death circumstances we see. But I believe it's also very difficult on the day-to-day where we make the little choices. Did you deny me? Did you keep this part of the world in your heart? Did you really make me the Lord of your life or you just say I'm the Lord? Did you call to me, Lord, Lord, those on that day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? He says, I I don't even know you. What you did was unlawful. God help us. And I'm very convicted when I preach these kind of messages that, Lord, it's in those places that we have to really examine what we say we believe. Let's look at Mark's gospel in chapter 14, an account where the disciples, and I want us to really be aware what changed in the revelation of these disciples from the times of the denial to the betrayal to that which became fully supportive, willing to be martyred for him. So we look at Mark's gospel in chapter 14, and let's begin. Jesus had told them about the betrayal and the fact that he was going to give his life, and in the timing of this, it's interesting, he had just the week before he had raised Lazarus from the dead. If you look at John's gospel account. So he raises Lazarus from the dead. Talk about a week. In one week's time, he goes from raising Lazarus from the dead to riding in on a donkey colt into Jerusalem, declaring, Hosanna, praise, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? To the point of both the arrest, the crucifixion, his death, and burial, all lumped in. That's a, that's a full week to go from that place where they are declaring who he is as Messiah to this death. And so when we look at that's the context just before the arrest. Let's pick up in verse 27. Jesus is on the way, and he says to them, Mark 14, 27, 
On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never leave you. Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declares emphatically, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Sit here and I want to go pray. Well, you know what happened. Jesus is so distressed. He's asking the Lord, the Father, God, to take this cup from me, but not my will. Yours be done. He asks the three that had been to the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the inner three, Peter, James, and John. They had seen when the Father came. They heard Moses and Elijah speak. They had seen him, eyewitnesses. They're so weary, they can't even pray with him. If, if the Lord said, can, can you, if, let's say a really close friend, someone, if you're pastor, I would hope if I came and said, can you just pray with me for one hour, please? And you fall asleep. Too busy. Got to work. Got to do this. Don't have time. Help us, Lord. I, we've all been there. It's that little denial of when the Lord asks us to do something and we just, we're too weary, we're too... Whatever. It says, when he returned to them the third time in verse 41, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but the time will come when the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Oh, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Verse 43, 43 says, and immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve, Disciples arrived with the crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers, the religious law, and elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then they will, you will take him under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, gave him a kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus, arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulls out his sword, struck the high priest's ear, slashing it off. We know that from John's account. That's Peter. In fact, there's an interesting account. Pastor Terry and I have often said, Jesus said, do we have a sword? And they, they said, we got two swords and that's enough. It's like, what is that? And then Peter, who had already said, I will, den I will die before I deny you. When they had come to arrive, Malchus was the high priest's slave. So he's a slave, but he's under direction. You go and you arrest him. That's the order. The slave doesn't follow his directions. You know what happens to him. While he's there, Peter pulls out the sword and slashes off Malchus's ear. Jesus says, put up your sword. And then he turns and he reattaches Malchus's ear. I'm like, God, this is one of those mysterious scriptures. You can ask the Lord about it. I just said, Lord, what was that? He says, Tom, think about Malchus for a minute. After all this arrest, betrayal, resurrection, if you're Malchus and you're sitting there thinking, 
he put my ear back on. Does Malchus' whole family, the slave who was, does he find freedom in Christ? I'll bet you he did, man. And so, hey, I don't understand all the mystery of it. And yet Peter, in the, in the midst of that, he says, I'll show you I will. And he was willing. But when Jesus says, put it up, and they drag him off, now Peter is like, well, I was willing to do it to defend you, but, but now, even before the servant girl, we see this. It says, verse 46, the others grabbed Jesus, arrested him. One of them pulled out his sword, slashed off his ear. Jesus asked him, am I a dangerous revolutionary that you've come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fill what the scriptures say about me. Verse 50, and this is the title of the message. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed with a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. And then they take Jesus before the high priest. Turn over and look at verse 66. Peter's in the courtyard below, and a servant girl works for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you're one of those that was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it. I know what you're talking. I says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out the entryway and the rooster crowed once. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of these because you're a Galilean. Peter swore. Curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man, and I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, the words Jesus said flashed before Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke, and he went out, and he wept. You know, it's interesting when... You remember how in Luke Gospel chapter 5, when Jesus comes and Peter, James, and John, Andrew, the professional fishermen, they, they had fished all night. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus says, can I use your boats? He pushes off the shore and he preaches. And then he says to Peter and the guys, push out and put your net down on the right side. And he says, well, we've fished all night, but if you say so... You know what happens. The boat is so full, it's to the point of they're going to they're gonna sink. And when Peter realizes what happens, he falls on his knees. He says, leave me. I'm too much of a sinner. He says, no, follow me. And they drop their nets. They resign from their position, and they now follow him. After the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, an account happens again in Luke's gospel. And it says, it's actually in John's gospel as well. He says, John, he says, they're out fishing. See, after all of the commotion of the death of Jesus and the resurrection, they decide, well, we've lost the follower of who we were following. So they said, let's go back to fishing. So they go and they fish all night. And guess what? Nada. Catch nothing, right? See, once you've been touched and you follow it, 
you can't go back. The world, it, the world doesn't make sense anymore. I recently was someone that had really devoted their life says, I don't like sinning anymore. <laughs> Praise God. Right? You're ruined good forever. And so what happens with Peter, James, and John? He says they, he yells out. Jesus yells from the shore. He's the resurrected Christ, but they don't know it yet. He's far from the shore. He goes, hey, how you doing in fishing? We haven't caught anything. Put your net down. 153 large fish. And then John turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps off the boat, swims into the shore, and you know the exchange? Breakfast is cooking, brings some of the fish. He turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And now Peter, who's broken, realizes, I didn't tell you what I said I would do. Lord, I've denied you. I, I don't even know you. I cursed over you. Not worthy. I'm just going to go back to fishing. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, he answers and says, you know, with actually different terms of love. One is phileo, which is brotherly love, the first request. Do you love me as a brother, Peter? You know I love you, Lord. But you know what's going on in Peter's head. I said I loved you before, and I would die for you. I don't even trust myself. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a love from the God level of love? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, Peter. Feed my sheep. At that moment, he prophesies over Peter. And, of course, Peter in all of his flesh, he's still jealous of John. (laughs) They're walking behind. Peter's walking with Jesus. He's doing this. What about John? Worry about him. Worry about it. You worry about you. In fact, Peter, here's the deal. Prophetically, when you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to take you and they're going to hold you in a place that you didn't want to be. And we knew on the day that Herod cut Paul's head off and beheaded him, Peter told, not Herod, Nero, told the Roman emperor, his emissaries, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ was. They were going to do the Roman crucifixion for pieces. I'm not worthy of that. So they crucified him upside down. And that is not, that is a very extremely painful death. But Peter was true. Even if they, others will deny you, I'll never deny you. This account of what God did, what changed? That's the question. What changed? I think scripturally we need to analyze that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 for a moment. In Romans 3, Paul writes to the church at Rome. And let's, let's begin in verse 10. This is actually a Paul pulls together at least three scriptures here. And they're not very pretty pictures of Basically, mankind without Jesus, we're a mess. Bottom line, right? Without Jesus, we're all a mess. Starts out in Romans 3.10. No one is righteous, not even one. Not only, not one is truly wise, and no one is seeking God. All have turned away, and all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. 
Their talk is foul. Their stench from an open grave. Their tongue is filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace, and they have no fear of God at all. That's Psalm 5, 9, Psalm 140, verse 3, Isaiah 59. It's, it's true based on historical um, revelation and insight of where mankind can go and what mankind is possible. But here is the but God. <laughs> Praise God. Look at verse 21. But now. (laughs) So if you look at verse 20, it says, No one ever was made right with God by doing the law. But now God, verse 21, has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. Verse 22, we are made right with Christ by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 21, 23 says, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glorious standard, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that you are, we are righteous. I added it up. I went through these next four, three or four or five chapters. The number of times he says, You have been made the righteousness of God. By faith in Christ, you are righteous. By faith in Christ, you are holy, right? So there's this place where because of faith, all that stuff that was true, the runaway side of who we were, the deniers of who we were, it is because of him and his righteous act that we become the righteous of Christ. And so look at your handout for a minute. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. No one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All the disciples deserted him, ran away. But now God has shown us the way. Unfortunately, there's areas in our life, even now, where we struggle, we battle, we run away, we hide. We try to dress that pig up. It's still a pig, right? You can put all the lipstick you want on that thing. It's still ugly, right? But then he goes on and he says, we have been rescued. I love this Colossians 1. And I love the word. She didn't, Karina didn't know about this translation, transformation. We know when we become believers, we become a brand new creation, right? But here's what he says. He says in, in Colossians 1, he says, you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, transferred, King James says, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. I don't know about you guys in the Star Wars, right? Beam me up, Scotty stuff. This is better than that, okay? This is where all of a sudden you're here on earth and you're seated in the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, in the third heaven. You have been translated by God from the kingdom of the dark places, and now you're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And you sit there in fellowship with him. If we would ever get a hold of this, it would change the way we behave. But it's not enough. Okay, take a look at the next one, number one there. I, I label this one from pitiful to powerful. Right, number one says, how do they go from being fearful deniers to bold proclaimers? What happened? The Father's gift was poured out. I call this the wimp to warrior transformation in the Holy Ghost, right? Because this is really cool and important. I bet you if we took a survey here, everyone says, yep, I'm a believer, You probably wouldn't be here if that was the case. 
But I want to say to you, believing in Christ is not enough. The devils believe, right? How is it that even Peter in his revelation, remember they who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? Well, you're this, you're that. And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, my father showed you that. So did Peter believe? Did they believe that he was the Messiah? And yet they denied him. So what happened? What transformation occurred? What was the insightful thing that occurred? What was the circumstance that changed everything? Holy Spirit power. Number two, the Holy Spirit reveals true identity and purpose if you let him. We won't look at John 16, but if you look at John 16, 1 through 15, that spirit of truth, the advocate, the one who's the powerhouse, the dunamis, the God on earth, he's the spirit of truth who will lead you and guide you in all truth. You can't bear the truth now. He tells them just before he's martyred, you can't get it all now, but when he comes, he will reveal to you. It is good that I go away because when he comes, he will reveal to you everything that I have told you. And they're still saying, okay, and they're probably, you know, in their argument about who's the greatest, you have any idea what he's talking about? They don't. They don't have a clue. But then after the resurrection, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, he tells them in their fear. Remember, they, it says they were all locked up behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they might be next. And he says... He tells them that he is about to become the one who, in his being resurrected even out of heaven in the ascension, look at Acts 1, let's begin in verse 2, until the days that he was taken up into heaven, that's the ascension, after giving the chosen apostles further instructions about and through the Holy Spirit, during the 40 days after the crucifixion, He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. I've told you this before. John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He replied in verse 7, the Father alone, they were asking, when is this going to happen? You're going to still set up the kingdom? They're still thinking, we're going to have you set the kingdom up. He says, no, my dad knows those times. It's not for me. It's not for you. Here's what you need to focus on, boys. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and you'll tell everyone everywhere in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up. Now, they're in a prayer meeting for many days, 120 in the upper room, right, they go through the, in chapter 1, the back part of that, they replace Judas the betrayer, and they put Matthias in, and then you know in chapter 2, the pouring out. The, the tongues, cloven tongues of fire get poured out. Okay, so something's transitioning. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse, let's begin, let's begin in verse 1. So here they are. They've now been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They have the dunamis. This is the difference. And if you're not baptized and you're not regularly in the refreshment of that, you and I are in danger. Listen to me. You're in danger. If you're not refilling that well on a regular basis, that's why I love 
this part about finding the quiet place with Christ. We heard that in spades over the weekend. It's just the encounter. Did you, do you encounter him on a regular basis? Do you set time in the encounterment, right? Then we're in danger. Well, here's what happens. In verse 1 of chapter 3 of Acts, Peter and John, they're headed to prayer at noon to, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the temple. When they approach it, there's a man there from birth who's being carried, and each day he's laid at the temple gate, and he, he begs for, for money. And you know the story, Right? So they're on their way to the temple, and the guy who sits there every day, he's 40 years, he's been lame since birth, and he's a beggar. How many times do you think Jesus passed by him? Jesus went to the temple regularly. That guy was there. In fact, after he's, after he's healed, they, recognize, they all recognized him. It's him. They probably gave an alms once in a while to him, which means that there's miracles that are set aside for you to do that Jesus hasn't done yet. Was he still crippled? Yeah. Did Jesus heal? He did. But it wasn't the opportune time because about to happen is about to set Jerusalem on its ear. Well, you know the story. He says, they're begging, he's begging for money. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently. It means you just, you notice the beggar, Right? You ever drive by and the, the homeless person's there, they got their little sign by one of the stores, and, and all of a sudden you're like, you see him before and you didn't see him, but now you see him? This is what's going on. He says, he intently saw him, and he says, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have I give to you, right? And at that point, he grabs his hand, and instantly that which had made him crippled from birth is no longer so. Walking, leaping, praising. Can you imagine that? Here comes the beggar. He's probably got all of his, he's now the guy who sat there, and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, whoa, wow, that's awesome. Hey, David says, isn't that the guy? That's the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. Yeah, right? And so he, he's like, whoa, what happened? I'd like to know the testimony. Come tell me what happened. And so that causes a big mess. Now, all the people are astounded, verse 9. All the people saw him walking, heard him, praising God. They realized it was the beggar that they so often had gave beautiful, astounded, astounded, absolutely. They rushed out in amazement into the colonnade and hold on to Peter and John. I love this part. Peter saw an opportunity, <laughs> you think? And he addresses the people. And it's a very interesting addressment. This is an interesting sermon. People of Israel... You're so surprised about this? Why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our power or our godliness? It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same whom handed over and rejected him before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected his holy, righteous one, and instead you released a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of the fact. Can you imagine that sermon? Can you imagine the religious leaders that are sitting there? That's what we did a couple weeks ago. He's talking about us, right? And they were the same ones in the crowd. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Though faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know he was crippled before. Faith in Jesus' name is healed. And before your very eyes, friends, I realize that your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. 
But God was fulfilling what he had prophesied to the prophets foretold about the Messiah that he must suffer these things. Now repent for your sins and turn to God and let your sins be wiped away. The times of refreshment will come in the presence of the Lord. Well, you ought to underline that verse 20. And he said, Jesus, your appointed Messiah, he must remain in heaven until the final restoration of all things. Then the Lord will raise him up and raise a prophet among you, right? It goes on. What happens? They get arrested. <laughs> Verse 1 of chapter 4. Peter and John were speaking in the people, and they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These teachers were very disturbed. Peter and John were teaching the people through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They arrested him, and since it was already night, they put him in jail for the night. Many people heard the message and believed. The number of believers now totals 5,000 men, not counting men and women. So the church is like, one major miracle, right? The next day, the council of rulers, you wonder, I'm going to stop here for a moment. Last week, we had a prophecy the Lord was going to raise the roof off this place. That's why, why do we pray? Why do we contend for miracles? Why do we push in for that? Because we believe it. Those that are listening, by, we believe it. If you need a healing, believe it. Ask God for it. We believe it. We have seen it. You can't unsee what we have seen. We've seen the tumors disappear. The blind eyes have opened. The crippled have walked before our eyes. Thousands have come to Christ. The demons go out screaming. You can't unsee that. That's the miracle of Christ. That's why he says, those who believe in me cast out demons in my name. Lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Well, he goes on and they preach this thing, and I love it. Verse 8, chapter 4, 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to the rulers and elders of the people, we're being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You want me to somehow, you know, well, he was healed. Let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where he says the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? Anybody know? We got any builders in the house? Jesus is the cornerstone. But it is the foundation stone. Mike's a builder. When you start, especially in those days, if you don't start with a level foundation cornerstone and build the foundation on that, what happens? What happens when you get the roof up? <laughs> it's, it's not good, right? So Jesus warns over and over again. I've listed a number of the scriptures about the cornerstone. Jesus has become the cornerstone. In fact, he says in some of the scriptures, he says, they'll be the ones that they'll trip over and break themselves on. Those who reject Christ, you're going to get broken on the cornerstone, which is Christ. That's the warning from scripture. Jesus, the cornerstone. Number three, the foundation we build upon. In 1 Peter 2, turn with me there. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2.
1 Peter chapter 2, the living stones. Let's begin in verse 4. You are coming to Christ, 1 Peter 2, 4. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people but chosen by God for great honor. And you are the living stones that God is building in his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Though through the meditation of Jesus, the mediation of Jesus Christ, and you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, as the scripture says, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you trust him because you recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. This cornerstone, Jesus, let me ask you a question, number four. How's your foundation? How's your building progressing in your life project? Do you realize that you are a project for God? You are a life project. Philippians 1.6, he who began the work in you shall perform it till the day he comes. Right? You are a life project. Here's the challenge, though. If you don't give him some of the things he needs for the building process, like your heart, your, full t- your time, your energy, your focus, or you choose other things in building materials, he says all that wood, hay, and stubble one day, when you stand before him, it's going to get burned up. It's going to count for nada. In fact, even if you did all the work and it wasn't based on the love of God, it counts for nothing. So it's like, yee. We got to put the right foundation. We got to allow him the right foundation stuff. And so when we do that, though, he becomes the foundation piece of the living stones. So I want you to get a picture. One day, your stone, it's all fashioned. You know, when you do the, the masonry work, you ever watch anybody how they sometimes cut it and carve it and place all those, right? And they build a wall and make it nice with no holes in it? Your stone is fashioned and it's a different shape and size. They're all different. Every fingerprint's different. Every snowflake is different. That stone, what a sad day that the stone that the temple was being built has a big hole in it because that person rejected Christ. The living cornerstone says you are a holy priesthood. Number eight says You're not like this, verse 9. You're not like this. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, he can show you and others the goodness of God, for he's called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Well, let me land this thing. Mom's been talking about plumb lines for about three months. Calls me up. Hey, I saw something else on the plumb line, a golden plumb line, plumb line, plumb line. My wife and I wow, the plumb line is still, there's got to be a message in here because mom's still on it, right? Well, let me show you something. Mom, this is for you. And get it right. That's a plum, and that's the line. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Amos. 
not a familiar book. Book of Amos, chapter 7. Amos, chapter 7. It's an interesting book. You might want to read it this week. I love in Amos, chapter 3, it says, how can two people walk together unless they agree on direction? That's unity. In a marriage, in a business, in a church, in any fellowship, you, you, you try to walk in a different direction, it doesn't work, right? And then he goes on, he says, he doesn't do anything in verse 7, Amos 3, 7. He doesn't do anything. The sovereign God does nothing, wow, until he reveals his plans to the servant, the prophets. That's why when, when you got people like Leif and Jack Taylor and Abner, they come and they prophesy, get ready, get ready, get ready, Global River. It's like, I don't think you're teasing us, God, so we're getting ready, right? Part of it is the righteous plumb line. In Haggai, we started this year. I'm asking, I'll be starting to ask the Lord, what do you want to do for next year? But he gave us Haggai 1.7 in December last year. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Here's another example of consider your ways. Amos 3, let's look at verse, uh, Amos 7, verse 7. You there? Then he showed me another vision. Amos has multiple visions but here's a vision in the natural that explains what God is about to do in the supernatural. Verse 7, he says, Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. Is it still straight? Implying that it was at one time. He says, And the Lord replied, what do you see? He said, I see a plumb line, Amos said. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will go, I will no longer ignore their sins. The pagan shrines and ancestors will be ruined. See, they had wandered away. They had wandered away and gotten caught up in other things. Now, see how long it's taken to get this thing set, right? You can bring it down and Remember what he said in Ephesians chapter 4? Let's just turn there for a minute. In Ephesians 4, in verse 14. He's employing the church to be unified as a body. He speaks of the fivefold ministry, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers, prophets, and apostles that are going to raise up and equip the church for the works of ministry, which... Many of you are so doing, I so appreciate. For the perfecting of the saints of the work is in Ephesians 4.12. Until we come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Henceforth you are no more children. This is big. Henceforth you are no more children. Verse 14. Tossed to and fro and carried about by every other doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Speaking the truth in love. The world, unfortunately, right now is tossed to and fro in all sorts of craziness. Man, I, my heart was really broken. Yesterday, we were listening to a video clip of senior Catholics that were, had written, actually, a, a video, given a video to Pope Francis. It was an open letter to Pope Francis called The Remnant, right, Tony? It was rem Remnant. This past couple of weeks, they have brought into Rome 
all of these idols. What's it called? The Kachimama? Don't say it even in church. Okay, I'm not allowed to say it in church. No idols in church. Anyway, they were parading this, and the, and the Pope was embracing all of these different idolatry things. He had allowed the imams to come in, and even in the, in, and I'm not trying to be critical, of it, I'm just, we're in a season where the foundation of that church has gotten to a place, there's over a billion Catholics who are now in a place of complete confusion and chaos. Many are so wounded and hurt, pleading with the Pope, please get this craziness out of here. You can't embrace all this and expect. And so we're in this place of every wind of doctrine. And so you're going to get tossed to and fro. Or you're going to stay anchored in Christ and what he says. Even if it costs you on that day, we say... If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So all of us would probably be like the disciples that said, none of us will deny you. But then faced like that little girl in Korea on that day, what we really believe. How do we do this? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the revelation by the Spirit of God. It is the dunamis power of God. It is the choice to make Him the Lord of all areas of our life. And all of us are the, are the building project. It's a work. Come on. Every one of us struggles with stuff, right? Your thought processes. You, I mean, I just went through this, been weary. It's been a weary couple of weeks and just heaviness, really heavy this morning. It's like, God, but after prayer this morning, whoo, and after worship, yay, oh, right? So I'm asking you, there's going to come a season where he is not going to tolerate any crookedness in the line. And ask the Lord. This is where in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, judge yourself, and you won't be judged. Amen? So my prayer is, even during this holiday season, that we would become no longer the runaways. We are the warrior transformation group. No more wimps in the house, right? Right? It's the stuff in the secret place. It's in that place where we stand. That doesn't, yesterday I was this close. We went to Starbucks for coffee or we were waiting, and this lady was upset on the line, and she was swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain. And I'm like, man, as soon as I walked in, it was like, gah. I wanted to go over and said, I said, Lord, she just doesn't know. And it'll cause, she's probably about ready to go ballistic, you know. So I said, Lord, not yeah, I'll just, and then later she was praying for her. Well, let's stand to our feet. We want to ask the Lord to release the highway of holiness. He said in Isaiah 35, 8, he says, verse 8, it says, there's a highway of holiness and it's an open highway for the righteous. He tells us in both Proverbs and both 15, 19 and 16, 17, that that highway of righteousness is a pathway unto the highway of holiness. And there's no evil there. Now, we also know he tells us the way is narrow. And few ever find the way. Broad is the highway that leads to destruction. Yeah, it's a super highway that leads right to hell and the fire. And there's this little kind of pathway, right, 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm actually really encouraged by the number of um, people that are rising up saying, that's not true faith. We're not compromising here. Amen? So ministry team, would you come? Sarah, would you get on the keys? And let's just, if there's a place where, as you've been sitting here and the Holy Spirit kind of put his finger on an area that you just want to get someone to pray with you, this is a trustworthy bunch. So Lord, we just ask, Father, that you would show us the path. We know, for one, he told us in Proverbs, don't try to understand it. This pathway is not one you can get with your head. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your head knowledge. Just acknowledge him in every way, the, the mysterious things, the things that happen in life that, man, that is not ever what I wanted or how it ever came about. God, how did this happen? And I have no frame of reference in my intellect. God says, would you give that mystery to me? And would you trust me? Keep walking. There's a highway that leads to the, the high place of God. With the clean hands and the pure heart, we ascend the hill of God. We become the project wall that he's building in a place that is a foundation actually for others that can be built upon. He tells us in Jude that you become the ones that snatch the others from the flames of judgment. But be real careful that you don't fall into the same trap. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. I pray a blessing over this Thanksgiving, Lord. We just pray that every family, even the struggles, those who might be alone or lonely or remembering loved ones that are no longer here. Lord, you said you would prepare a table for us in the presence of the enemies. And we thank you, Lord. If you need prayer, come for prayer. There's no Wednesday night. We will have prayer this Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. We're going to go out and pray over the schools. We're going to fast 24 hours from Wednesday night till the end of Wednesday, from Tuesday night till the end of Wednesday, praying that God is going to touch our children, touch the education system, the system that has taken God out of the schools, that has allowed a murdering spirit to come into the school system. God, we have sown and now we reap, but God, there is a watchman group. There's a group it's told of in, in, Luke, in Isaiah 21. The watchmen have made a declaration. God, we want to be watchmen. We want to pray and watch, pray and watch, pray and watch. That prayer changes things. God, we pray for our president. We pray for the Congress. We pray for the declarations of things. He, what he's declared over Israel is incredible, God. I, we, we don't understand all that you're doing, but it is amazing how he's blessing Israel. Israel in the midst of all their turmoil. God, you said if those who bless Israel would be blessed. I pray for all those in our political positions that they would hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Messiah. Lord, we thank you now. Bless every family here, Jesus. We thank you. Bless everyone in Jesus' name. God bless you.